Peace and love, party people. Welcome back to the Groove Line. I'm your host, CJ, and I got my boy, Russ, in the studio here today. We are going to be talking about the year of the dog. That's 1998. That was when DMX pretty much dominated the charts, becoming the first rapper in history to have two number one albums on the Billboard chart in the same year. And when I first, you know, started reaching out about it, Russ was one of the first ones to actually, you know, just say, yo, I'm down for that. And I just, and I said, you know what? This man knows his music. We have a, you know, we have a good rapport. Let's go for it. So Russ, how you doing this afternoon? Hey man, I'm good, brother. I'm excited. Glad you're here. All right. So just to get started, when was the first time that you heard DMX? Man, um, my first encounter with DMX, it had to be, like it had to be Get At Me Dog. Because I wasn't one of those, like I never got like the early, early, early DMX, like when right. he was like doing all the other shit. But like I remember, I caught it late, but I caught it in like like ninety seven, like late ninety seven, when like that black and white video came out. Like, cause you know that's like the era of the box, and when like music videos were just like yes. around. <laughs> and I saw it, and I was just like, I don't know what this is, but. This is this is different. <laughs> yeah, and I think that video by by the way, it's still one of the only rap videos to never be aired in its entirety on MTV because the editing was just too doggone much. <laughs> like every other word was just literally like, you know, a blank. Um the radio used to play around with it a little bit more cuz you remember, you know, back in the days when Power 99 was really heavy with the scratches. Yeah. That's where a lot that's where a lot of people's slang came from because they were scratching the cusses out of the records. First time I heard DMX was actually pull it with Cameron a little earlier than uh get at me dog. Yeah, see that's the thing. It's like I didn't hear pull it until after that. Like yeah, I and pull it I was dived in like when like mixtapes started coming out, and then like pull it started popping up on a bunch of them, and then that's when I knew that X was around prior to this. Yeah, that was the first I was like. I was 16. I was a junior in high school, and I was like, who the hell is DMX? Because I knew Cam, of course, from the commission days, you know, and everything like that. But, you know, him and DMX on the track together, honestly, that's one thing that bothers me about that era is that we never got any more, you know, collaborations between them because they were dynamite on pull. Oh, yeah. Without any question. And when they um, came out with that record, I was like, okay, I got to listen out for this DMX guy. Then, of course, the Gab Me Dog video and the song came out, and it was like, yeah, this is somebody different. This is somebody new. Because you got to remember, we're just coming out of Big being murdered. Yeah. Tupac being murdered six months before that. And it literally was a time in hip-hop where, you know, even though they were trying to, you know, really stop the violence, increase the peace and all of that, that's how, you know, the shiny suit era got started. But people still hungered for that street authenticity and here's a dude you know abandoned by his family a loner by all accounts in and out of the system from yonkers new york who says this is my life story and i know there are a lot of young black boys out there like me dealing with some of the same issues so let me speak on this and he literally just took over rap in 1998 it wasn't like anything i'd ever seen the crazy thing is we didn't even know it got that deep until the album came out because when get at me dog came out 
And then when the Rough Riders Anthem came out, like the album wasn't even here yet. So all yeah. I knew was like this rough, rough dude and this music that was just as raw as it got and that he could actually rhyme because there's there's been a bunch of hard records, but we've never really had like somebody that hard, but that skilled at what he was doing. So that's why I was just, it caught me immediately because I was, I was a really huge Jay-Z fan and I was a really huge Nas fan. And I was just like really big on just like the lyricism and like how they approach things. And here's this guy kind of from the same era, kind of from the same neighborhoods, but his whole approach was different. But yeah, he was and I think as lyrically skilled as the other two guys, which was just, it was mind blowing to me. Absolutely. And just to get on to get at, get, to get on the get at me dog train, I still remember hearing the intro for the first time. Yeah. And in our little circle in Wilmington, Delaware, because you know I'm from Delaware, we yeah, yeah. get things a we pick up on things a little later than everybody from the Philly area. <laughs> so, but my man's and them literally just became our calling card for the entire year. <laughs> and just the just the ferocity with which he came out with after you know that little gruff little underground dark, you know, in the corner in the alley somewhere intro. Yeah. It literally just threw me for a loop. The whole album was just like one long 90 minute or however long the album was stretch of aggression, basically. Yeah. And it was just, it's crazy when you think about how like complex of a person X is because just that first album, we got one of the hardest intros ever. And then like three songs later, we got Robbery, we got rape, and then we got a prayer. <laughs> it's like, all right, and then we got somebody who's like, clearly like fighting his inner demons, and he's like super self-reflective, and he like has like this deep sense of loyalty to his homies and all of this stuff, and it's like all on one album, and it's just like, I don't really know how to take it because like to this day, I've never seen a rapper as, complex of an individual was X. Like we got guys who were like street guys and they're flashy and street guys are that hard or people who are super introspective, people who are super religious like Chance. And we got all of that all in one dude. And I don't think we'll actually really have another, I mean, cause DMX paved the way for a lot of guys, but nobody has been able to do it quite like he's been able to do it in my estimation. Because like you said, I mean, he said, if you got a daughter older than 15, I mean, it was like, yo, I mean, it's funny. That's the line that always jumps out at me. It's like, you wouldn't be allowed to operate out here. Nope. Because re remember, Rick Ross had that ver verse on you ain't even know it. Yeah. And all his sponsors just said, peace. <laughs> they just, yeah. they just dropped, they dropped that man like a bad habit. And, and that just was, the thing that was, and that was just about like putting something in a drink. Like DMX is like clearly talking about like, yo, like, I'm, I'm out here raping 16 year olds. Right. And we're, and it's going to get even darker on um, flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, but to keep on the, uh, it's dark and hell is hot train. What would you say are some of the standout tracks in your opinion, the ones that you keep coming back to that just remind you of the greatness of that album? Definitely the intro. I mean like that, that intro is still like, we, we spent a whole lot of time like just being Jay-Z fans talking about intros because he's one of the guys who just like, he stuck with it. He took intros really, really seriously. 
but that DMX intro, like he also spends a lot of time on like how his albums open up. And that intro was just, I mean, we're talking about 1998. Like I'd never heard anything like it just from just like, like the bells and from like, just like the guy talking in the beginnings and like, and then like the growls and then one of the hardest beats drop and X is just like ripping it for verses. And it's just like, I've, I've never heard anything like it. And that intro, like it became like, like this really, really hard anthem even before Rough Riders Anthem, because I remember Mike Tyson picked it up and he started walking to the ring with it. Mm -hmm. It's like that, like that was the record, like that, that set the tone about like, it's about to get dangerous now. <laughs> and that's what it's, and it still sounds like that to me. Like I played it the other day and whenever I hear it, it's like, I feel more dangerous listening to it now. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, going back to that, it's just because we started using it to get ourselves hyped up my senior year of high school when we were playing football because the album dropped, uh, I, I want to say May of 98, if not June or yeah, even July. Right. It was yeah. somewhere it was somewhere in that neighborhood. And by the time we came back for our senior year of high school for football, we just knew that we were going somewhere. We thought we thought we had a state tournament team. Right. So the, the DMX intro was something we played in the locker room, on the bus. We just had a feeling that, you know, this was going to be the actual track that inspired us to greatness. It inspired us to five and five. But still, <laughs> the good memories remain. The good memories remain. And for me, I one of the best things about. The first DMX album, and this isn't a knock on Swiss Beats because we're going to get into his ascension right. in a little bit. But It's Dark and Hell is Hot had production from Irv Gotti, from Dame Grease. Yeah. And those dudes weren't afraid of a sample. For me, Dame Grease sampling an old Edwin Starr joint for Crime Story still absolutely. Because that to me is still one of the best storytelling tracks done by a rapper ever. Yeah, like, because he goes from, you know, robbing somebody to shooting it out with the cops to hiding from the cops. You know, I play like a bitch. I, it's just me here and I'm not dressed. And that guy sounds kind of dangerous. I hope you make an arrest. And then he goes into the studio. You, I mean, he goes into the um, the, the police station right. with a bomb strapped to his chest. Right. <laughs> like you go from you get like it's literally a crime story. I'm robbing people. I'm pinning it on my sons. I'm pinning it on my homies kid. And I know I ain't got no way out of this, that they closing in on me. So you know what? I'm just taking everybody with me. I got the bomb on me. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned samples because like one song that kind of like fell by the wayside for me until recently, where like I went back and I wanted to play the album front to back again before we talked. And the fucking Phil Collins record. Like, oh yeah. I, 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 it's one of those songs where like you've remembered it, but I didn't really remember it until just now. And I'm, I'm listening to it and it's like, how do you get away with this? Your first album <laughs> where it's not one of those like subtle samples, like how we got now where it's like, all right, this is a little bit. And like Phil Collins is in a, the news lately because he went after um, the Lucid Dreams record. And it's like, that's like a subtle sample. This is this is pretty much your entire song. The hook is Phil, the hook is a Phil Collins. It's Phil Collins lyrics. The beat is the same Phil Collins beat, and it's just like this is DMX's first album. 
there's like no like backing where it's like, oh well, yeah, we can clear that for DMX. Like, yeah, he's a solid dude. Like, nobody knows who this dude is. <laughs> and he's right. he has like the hardest he has the hardest record on this beat. And it's like there's no way that that would have got cleared in 2010. Yeah, I think a lot. I think what happened is with because Def Jam, as we know from you know the experience with one of my personal favorites, Big Crit. They yeah. put money behind who they want to put money behind. Oh, yeah. And I think Russ knew, Russell Simmons knew that, Leo Cohen knew that DMX was somebody that you could spend a bag on and get multiple bags in return. Yeah, that 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 has to be it. Because every time you hear Leo talk about that album, he gets really excited, like he knew. So I'm pretty sure he wrote a real big check to clear that one. Because you have no idea how the song is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Like he could literally be talking about raping somebody or robbing another bank on on this Phil Collins record. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think another favorite of mine, just for the just for the in, another intro that'll probably stand that probably outlive DMX himself is "How's It Going Down." Of course, the radio version <laughs> got a lot better because of <laughs> the radio version, you know, went took off because Faith jumped on the hook, right, right. which made a lot of sense at that time because she was, you know, the, she was one of the hottest female singers out. And I was glad to see her get some love on the Soul Train Awards. Mm. But the the album version, oh man, <laughs> this dude, this dude, call, this dude calls whoever he's messing with at an. It's got to be an obscene time of the night or morning because she has she clearly has sleep in her voice. <laughs> this dude doesn't say, "Hey, baby, what's up? How you doing?" Or nothing. The first words out of his mouth, "Who think you sucking?" <laughs> and it just really just like at sixteen years old to hear that. I, you know, being raised by a single mother, it just shocked me for a loop because I never talked to girls like that. And 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 I and I knew I couldn't. I knew I could never get away with that. And this dude just literally casually just jumps in. But it was it was so it was so clear. And it was so like blatant that I remember my, my little cousin was hearing us play the album like one time and for like the next year, like whenever like his parents weren't around, he was like, who dick you suck it? And he would recite, <laughs> he would recite this thing. And he was like nine. And it's like, yo, look, this isn't, this isn't right. <laughs> but it was that clear. It was such a, it wasn't like a subtle, like, oh, this is kind of dirty. It was no, it was loud. It was raunchy, and it made the album. And then this great song comes on after it. It just, it, it just absolutely boggles the mind that some of the stuff that we listened to when we were growing up is some of the stuff these rappers and R and B folks got away with. Yeah. Because now, I mean, and and, and this isn't going to turn into like you know a rant against political correctness because you got to sort of, you know, start yeah. towing the line somewhere because you know, of, for different things, but. I, I mean, you probably could get away with it on an album level now, you know, as a skit, you know, somebody just casually calling a woman up, asking her if she's cheating on you or whatever, right. in that sort of way. But just for just just as raw as it was in 98, it's just like, wow, he's really on some other shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll never forget that. Like that skit will like forever like be in my brain just because of how crazy it is and just like how if you heard it once it stuck with you it yeah it absolutely did um and then of course we got to talk about you know we will talk like swiss took over most of production for its dark and hell i mean for flesh my flesh blood my blood yeah but his only appearance on 
It's Dark and Hell is Hot is still one of the greatest rap songs of our generation. Of course, that's Rough Riders Anthem. Yeah. Talk about the feeling behind that record, because that was I mean, it Get At Me Dog was real, but Rough Riders Anthem was just just took off into another whole entire stratosphere. I mean, the anthem was just like as soon as you heard the beat, it was like, all right, this is. I'm probably going to like this record. And then when it drops, it's just, you know, because Swiss is such like an alien and he's so different than everybody else that you can spot a Swiss beat from a mile away. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you hear like the first few notes of this record, you know, it sounds different than not even just how music sounds. It sounds completely different than this album because this album is dark and it has like these like really gritty beats. And then you hear the anthem and it's like, this, this, this feels like a single. <laughs> and then, but then like the hook drops and it's like, oh, okay, this is still some really, like this is gutter, but this is gutter that like everybody can kind of get behind. Because it's, 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 a, it's a chanting chorus and that, that's kind of what like gets stuck with people. And it's like, you don't even need to know what he's talking about, but everybody can yell stop, drop. Absolutely. Oh, no, like it's just something that you can chant at a bar or something you can like sing in, in the car. And it's like, you don't really need to know exactly what he's talking about. You don't need to know that he's like talking about robbing people or killing people. It just sounds good. But I, that definitely sounded like a song that wasn't from here. And that's kind of what Swiss's production. That's why it hit so hard. Like when he when he like got his legs under him and he hit his stride, it was because like it's it's so different than everything else. Absolutely. And then with that, we'll go into the album that turns 20 years old on December 22nd. And that is Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. I think because there's a there's a really good article somewhere. I have to find it where, you know, it's kind of like a. Uh, a, a, um, an oral history of the album. Yeah. And Leo and the guys said that pretty much was whatever wasn't nailed to the floor from the first session. Right. But it still sounded totally different from It's Dark and Hell is Hot because Flesh of My Flesh just went even deeper and darker than usual. And like, and like we said, Swiss really sort of got, you know, got his legs on and took, took helm of that album. And the, di the difference is obviously in the intro because we talked about the intro with the bells and, yeah. the, and the horns and the darkness of that. And then, you know, it goes to my niggas. Yeah. <laughs> and that beat is just totally different. Yeah, it's definitely a different, like he, it was a different tone for this album. It's still, it's still hard, but like it's hard, but it's not dark. Like the first album is completely dark. It all sounds like it was recorded at night. It all sounds like the soundtrack to a really dark, rainy movie. And then this second album is still as dangerous, still as hard, but it's not dark. And that's what Swiss production kind of like opened up. It's like, this is going to give you a different feel. And yeah, it's, a, it's a fully fleshed album. And just, to, and just to like think about 1998 for a second, it's like the first album comes out in May. This album comes out in December, and then in between that, Belly comes out. Oh yeah, like that's that's a crazy seven months. And even with Belly, I mean, 
I mean, obviously, you know, that's one of the hood classics, no matter how many people on Twitter try to diss it. It's still right. <laughs> one of the one of the absolute hood classics of oh, our yeah. lifetime. And even that lead single DMX took over on grand finale. Yeah. Because um, people don't realize that that is probably one of the most. Wow. You, producer matchups of all time, because when you look at the credits and see Eric Sermon underneath that, right. it's like, wait a minute. Hold up. He did this beat. Right. And then, you know, you know, Nas is, you know, spitting his stuff. Method Man, you know, jumps on with the lead off Homer, you know, Ja Rule for better or for worse, you know, does his thing. I love course. Like we we can we can get to that. But I'm yeah. still a 100 percent Ja Rule apologist. I'm a defender. <laughs> <laughs> like it don't matter. Like Ja Rule did no wrong in all of this. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll probably have to talk about it another time how 50 just you know dissed him for his whole style and then eventually stole it, but that's another story for another day. But yeah, DMX's 1998 was probably I don't know, I don't know if it's top five for a rapper. I mean, it's probably I mean it's gotta be at least top three because from start to finish, he literally just dominated the whole year. Yeah, like no one's no one's ever done that. Like we've seen like crazy runs, but no one's ever done it like this. Because it wasn't like there was a huge buildup. It wasn't like we knew. It was like, all right, there's this guy DMX, and he's dropping an album next year, and like we waiting for it. It wasn't one of these like super, super heavily anticipated things where like we knew of him for years. Where like people were like, yeah, this guy's next. Nobody really knew what to make of DMX until that first album came out, and then it was like, oh shit. And that's probably why the second album came out so quick because like nobody was really ready for it. So it's like, yeah. yeah, we, we got to like get, we got to jump on this train because like we don't know how long this train gonna last with this barking nigga. Like, but right <laughs> now it's hot, <laughs> and like it it just turns out that he dropped like, I mean, both of those albums, like the second one in particular, it's like there's you got to put it in like, on like the list of like some of the greatest albums ever released, like rap wise, because it's so fleshed out. Like the second album feels like, like they put work in. That's why I don't really believe that. Like it's just like the scraps from the first album. This album's completely different. It's deeper. The raps are better. Like some of the beats are better. The album flows better. Like DMX like hit his stride where you can tell it was like all right, cool. He went from like being this really raw dude who's just doing whatever he wants to like he's making a classic album, and he did it in seven months. I agree. I absolutely agree. I kind of, yeah, I kind of sort of have to question that as well. I think, I think they got, they did get it done so quick because like you said, no one saw this coming. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, I mean, of course he was in unsigned hype like six, seven years before, yeah. but nothing ever came of that. Then he started making the guest appearances and we didn't talk about another great guest appearance he has from 98, um, money, power and respect. Yeah. And like, and that, and that was, I drove my classmates crazy with, it's not a fucking game. You think I'm playing? Right. Like I literally drove I literally drove my Spanish classmates nuts. Like they would literally try to get me in trouble behind that because that's all I would say whenever they got on my nerves. <laughs> that 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 they would literally just say, Miss Steiner, Chris is doing that DMX verse again. Uh, <laughs> that type of thing. And yeah, yeah like yeah, actually go back to like the first question you asked. Like, that's actually the first time I like officially heard DMX and knew who he was. So I heard that a little before Get At Me Dog. 
but like, and maybe it was because I was a little younger when it came out where like, I wasn't like really like, I wasn't reading all the rap magazines. I wasn't like 100% on top of like what people were excited about. I just know me personally, I didn't feel like a buzz where it was like, everybody was just like the whole world was waiting for this DMX album to drop. Like how it was the second album. Like the second album was the most anticipated record that year where it's like, oh, X is dropping again. He's dropping soon. We can't wait to see what happens. But, like this, but this album, like when you when you think about the, the songs like that, just the track list in general and just the features where it's like we get introduced to Dragon pretty much like in album form and then DMX in the locks for two records because we don't give a fuck. It's like, that's when I've really, really became like a huge fan of Jadakus. Because it's like, all right, like this dude is just as good as X. And then Blackout, of course. Oh my God, we got to talk <laughs> which about is, Blackout. Which is, still, which is still one of the greatest like posse cuts ever because it's a whole bunch of guys that are top-notch rappers and they're all trying to take each other's heads off. In their prime. Like Styles is going for it. DMX is going for it. Like Kiss, like Hove comes on. Like they're all like clearly going for like the best verse. And we never really get that in posse cuts anymore. It's always like, all right, this person killed it. And then everybody else kind of like sees that that person's gonna get the best verse and they kind of just fall back. But this is like everybody wanted to be top. And every verse just hits and the beat is fire. And it's like, this is how it should have been. Like all throughout the late 90s, early 2000s, it should have been like this, where like all of yes. these top guys are on records going back and forth. And we ain't really get that. Yeah. Like, there think, should be like there should be way more DMX Jay-Z records, and we ain't really got them. I think that's because the competitive spirit really took over in, you know, in a greedy sense. Yeah. Because those two guys, you know, were nineteen ninety-eight for the most part. Yeah, because because yeah, hard knock life and yeah, the yeah, and outcast too, but like Jay Z was like he was king because when Hard Knock Life dropped and sold five million, it's like it's officially Jay Z's world now. Yeah, it's his world from a pop standpoint, but it's obvious you know DMX was still was king of the streets at that point. Yeah, and and the and the, and the two crews you couldn't separate them by much. Like it's almost like you know whenever it's the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl or what have you, and the news outlets do like position for position yeah you could do that with rockefeller and rough riders yeah jay and dmx for the were like the quarterbacks or the uh you know top guns you compare drag on to memphis bleak yeah beanie siegel and jay to kiss you know that type of thing of course we all know about the siegel and kiss beat that Yo, came to what? came to a head a few years later it's 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 still my absolute favorite rap beef of all time yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, real quick. I don't, I don't want to get too off topic, yeah. but I have to tell you and everyone else about the story because yeah. um, Homecoming 2001 was my yeah, first I think, Homecoming. I, I, as I a think Del I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, as a Dell State student. And Beanie was the, I don't think he was next to last to go on, but he was pretty close because I still remember we had Backyard Band from DC for the Go Go Kids. Mm -hmm. Jaheem did RB. Uh, Foxy Brown and Ludacris came on. 
Foxy was I mean, Foxy was still nice then, but she was really, really mean to our sound crew. I'll never forget. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, anyway, Beans is Beans performs and he stops after um Mac Bitch, which had just come out at the time. Yeah. And he says, Y'all know about this beef I got with this nigga from Rough Riders D Block or whatever. And he starts, you know, going into a rap about I'm raping his mom and making him watch. I'm taking my time. I'm taking him. I'm making him watch. I'm taking his time. I'm taking his watch. I'm taking his grind. I'm putting five eights on his block. He a bitch without the pocketbook and the wig. How you talk that pox shit when you roll with big? Yo, I almost thought though, I almost thought Philly dudes was gonna tear the gym up. Like I really didn't. I worried we were not gonna have a basketball season because dudes were literally ripping seats out of Memorial Hall. Beans absolutely flamed him, flamed sheet, flamed styles. And the next night, because because our homecoming concert was on a Friday. Yeah. The, the Saturday, the day after was powerhouse. Yeah. Kiss that, was there. That that was that's that's my favorite just day in hip hop because Kiss goes, Kiss performs his disverse on stage. Siegel gets back to town. Siegel hears it because it's broadcasting live on Power 99. Mm -hmm. Siegel goes to the arena (laughs) and does the Dell State freestyle. (laughs) Same, like, not not just the same day. Like, he did it within minutes. And that's how beef's supposed to be. Like, we're not playing any games. Yeah. But, yeah, just going back to, you know, Blackout, like, literally – there is not a bad verse or a bad bar. And Sheik gets dissed a lot, you know, because, you know, he's kind of, he's looked at as, you know, literally yeah. the third wheel yeah, of the lot. Yeah. But not, not, key, not, not on that record. Yeah. Like he, like he literally, like he, he showed up. He absolutely showed yeah, up. It's like he heard I'm, all the jokes and it was like, nah, like I'm showing up. Yeah. Like he was talking about burning people bed and alive in the bed. And if you're alive, that's fine. I suggest you hit the block and get what, what gets what, get what's rightfully mine. Like you, you don't get that kind of disrespect and just you know overall gangsterism on rap records, rap, rap records anymore because you know ain't nobody got the heart. I mean, a lot yeah. of these guys now you see it with the um. I can't. I can. I can never get these. I can never differentiate which sixty nine or six nine is which. Which tells you how old I am. But the one, the one that's about to go away on Rico charges. Oh, so yeah, Takashi. Yeah, Takashi. Yeah, Takashi six nine or whatever. You know, they can talk about that stuff, but you really don't believe that they'll do it. Yeah, people no like people like Beans, like Jada, like DMX. Like you believe? Like I like I've never doubted for a second. I've you know, Beanie Siegel did a couple of Dell State concerts while I was a student there, and just walking by the dude. Like you just knew that yes, this this dude will fuck you up. Yeah, <laughs> you know you don't you don't get that kind of feeling from rappers anymore. Yeah, and it's just like we, like we saw it. I mean, and just being here in Philly and like how, like the like the like the the local music scene kind of just blew up after Siegel, and it's just like Siegel is like he was the Godfather. Like Siegel's like. Siegel has a Bill Walsh coaching tree. Oh, yes. When it comes to Philly rappers, because everybody came after him. Because he was going bar for bar with Jay. It's like, no, like he is just as nice as the nicest guy in the world. And the fact that he was he was ours, 
And the fact that you saw him and you saw him downtown, you saw him on South Street, you saw him around, like we we kind of knew. And that kind of just made it great when everybody came after him because we knew those guys too from like the mixtapes and from like the DVDs that got so popular out here. And I'm not sure if every city had that before we had it, Mm-mm. but like those like two raw for the street DVDs and like when like you saw like the upcoming talent on video where you didn't have to hear it on record, you clearly saw it. And then all those guys eventually got signed and just lets you know like how crazy that lineage was because everybody who came after Siegel, who looked up to Siegel, who followed the Siegel pathway, all those guys eventually made it. Absolutely. And just, um, and of course we got to get back on the track with, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> yeah we, we, we got off track, but that's, that was a fun era for us. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But back to flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. I think, you know, to that and that album spoke to me more than it's dark as hell. It's dark and hell is hot because X really kind of sort of went for it. Like, you know, you, you got bits and pieces of his life story right. on flesh of my flesh, but it's dark and hell is hot. He's telling you where he came from, why he is the way he is, and that, you know, kids that kind of went through that kind of struggle are not alone. And that brings us to slipping. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> another great sample from a, a great Philly guy, rest in peace, Grover Washington Jr. Yeah. And that record almost didn't get cleared, but you know, Grover Washington, who was his um his family was in charge of the state because he was about to um he was he was in his last days at that time. Yeah. They said, well, clear the record, but you can't have a custom version. No curse words. And then, of course, that record goes on to become arguably the biggest of DMX's career. Yeah. And and what you said is absolutely true. Is like that kind of that made the story come full circle where it's like, all right, I feel like we really understand who this dude is. Because the first album was so wild and so reckless. Like nobody knew why it was like this like he kind of touches on it on the first album but like not really it's kind of just like he's just putting it all out there and the second album he kind of lets us in where it's like this is like yeah like i'm i'm kind of fucked up Mm -hmm. and this is why and this is what i went through and this is why i am the way i am and like this is why the music sounds this way and this is why he's super emotional and he's super like, he's vulnerable on these records. And Slippin' is the most vulnerable you could ever hear a rapper as hard as DMX. Because we get a lot of emotional rap and we always make fun of like Drake and a bunch of other guys for being emotional, but like no one really did emotional quite like DMX because it wasn't like he was just doing it for women. Mm-hmm. Like he was actually being emotional. He was dealing with his problems on wax. And other people did it, but it wasn't quite like this. It wasn't quite as open. Like Jay-Z gets like deep, but he never really like lets you like into his feelings that much. Yes. And DMX went 100% with Slippin'. And Slippin' kind of just became the anthem of any kid living in poverty, any kid who's like going through anything, who slept in a shelter, who's like life didn't look that glamorous. Slippin' kind of became like your theme song. Because it was like, this dude's on top of the world. 
This dude's in movies. This dude has two number one albums. And Slippin' sounds like he's talking about me. Yeah. And you never really got that because all the people who were like talking about how shitty things were, they weren't the biggest. They weren't really like the superstars. All the superstars just talked about the streets. They talked about like the, the GS Lexus. They talked about like their like their jewelry. They talked about like how they were just successful and how they just kind of just got past it. DMX talked about his past so much and in so clear detail where it kind of like let you know. Like this dude's kind of just like us. Like he's absolutely one of us. Like you couldn't re- like I, you couldn't relate to Jay Z unless you were either rich or you had a drug dealing past. You couldn't relate to Nas unless you were like from Queens or had a drug dealing past or you were like young and attractive and like you were getting it. But DMX was everybody. He was everybody I saw every day growing up in Southwest Philly. He was like my homies. He was like the older guys on the block. He was, he reminded me of everybody who I knew. And it was just crazy seeing that guy make it like to the very top of rap where he's in movies and he's like, the Rough Riders were bringing their clothing line out. He's like the head of like this crew and he's a star. And it all kind of happened in the air. So that was just crazy to see. Yeah, I think for me, because that that album came along, you know, those two albums came along at a pivotal point in my development as a human being. Because right. I'm I mean, because anybody that knows me long term, anybody that knows me now, quite frankly, can right. tell you that I'm I'm a fucking dork. Like I don't I don't make any <laughs> I don't make any bones about it. I'm I mean, right. I used to be ashamed of how lame I was, but Life deals you a hand. And sometimes, you know, as a teenager, you know, when other kids, you know, are rocking certain, you know, certain fashions and you are the kid that's forced to get whatever you can from casual male being tall. People don't remember <laughs> right. it was casual male being tall. It's DXL now. Back then it was casual male being tall. Right. When, you're, when you're forced to rock those things because that's all you can afford because you're a bigger kid and you're and you're and you're an AV nerd, like literally. My high school was vocational high school, and I was in the uh, TV production um, career field vocation. So I was I was literally an AV nerd right. and literally just, you know, watching kids from different neighborhoods just, you know, kind of pick on you for that. And, you know, just, you know, make you feel less than DMX came along at a point where my anger and my emotions were really not, you know, something that I was, you know, ready or even capable of harnessing but this dude was able to do it in such a way that it made me feel like yo everything's going to be all right and eventually it was so slipping to me was like when when people ask you know those questions on twitter like what was your anthem you see in your high school i always say slipping yeah because that record meant more that record meant more to me than dmx will probably ever know and i greatly appreciate him for doing it because that really just kind of sort of turned a corner for me like okay i don't have to be, you know, angry. I don't have to hate where I come from. I don't have to hate myself. I can deal. I can deal with my feelings, and then I can pick myself up and keep going. Yeah, and even and even more so, it being 
something that resonates and it being something that kind of like described like our situation, like the undertone of all of that was, it was the first time I saw somebody that tough and that hard, like show that it's okay to kind of talk about your feelings. Because I didn't know like that was something that I could do. Whereas like, you could just be really open and honest about your feelings. And DMX was kind of the first person that really, like really went for it without even like thinking about like, oh, like, this might make me seem emotional. This might make me seem soft. Like he really was out here like bearing his soul on records. And he was out here crying at shows and like begging God on prayers. Like he was really emotional and wasn't really ashamed of it at all. And I kind of made it clear to me that like you could actually do this. Like it's okay to kind of be vulnerable in a sense and like just share your emotions with, even if you're not sharing it with the world like DMX was, if you were just sharing it with like your closest friends or with your family, it was just, you can do that and still have like this hard exterior that you kind of need like being like a black man in the world. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll never really forget that. And like, it, yeah, and it means more than he probably knows to a lot of us because like that, it came at such a time where it's like, these are pivotal years for us. Like that song like made going forward a little easier because we kind of had examples of other people doing these things that we were going to need to learn how to do. Absolutely. So just to kind of wrap it up, you know, what would you, if if somebody asked you to kind of like summarize or narrow down DMX's 1998 in maybe a sentence, what would you say? I mean, it's it's like we throw a we throw around the word phenomenal like a lot or like phenomenon, but like DMX in '98 was the epitome of the word because it didn't make sense. Like, really, if you tell somebody right now, like about 1998 DMX, like it wouldn't make sense. It would sound like like a fairy tale. Like this doesn't happen like this super, super raw dude. And he hit number one on a Billboard Records twice in seven months. Hmm. Like, people don't do that now, really. Like, unless you're like Drake, where like your fan base is so big, where like you can drop two albums in a year and they both hit number one. But one of those might be like a mixtape where mixtapes are getting counted now. But like no one's dropping two fully fleshed albums in a year and they both be amazing. And the second one be better than the first one. And they both sell records and they both have different sounds. That doesn't happen in two years for most artists. DMX did it in seven months. Absolutely amazing. And that honestly, I can't beat that because that is, you're right. That is the very definition of a phenomenon because he literally, you know, appeared out of nowhere and just took over rap for a year. And, you know, the albums that came after that were successful. Right. And, you know, his star continued to rise to do movies and different things. And, of course, he's thought of as, you know, 
one of you know one of the all time best and one of the all time favorites. But that first year, I don't think he could top it because it was just that damn strong. He literally, like you said, two number ones in seven months. Nobody's gonna do that again, regardless of genre. I'm talking yeah, hip hop, like, pop, country, rock. Nobody's gonna do that again. Like Nobody's it's, gonna. Yeah, do it's, that. Ne- it's never gonna happen. Like no one's, especially now. Like the attention span of people is so short. Where like no one would even attempt to put out two completely different albums in seven months. Like people put out double discs and they try to accomplish the same thing that DMX did separately, and both of those albums have at least sixteen songs on them. So it's not like he's dropping an eight album song here and then a twelve album song in the winter. It's like these are both full LPs full of songs. And every song sounds different. And it's funny that you brought up like his other albums and his career and like how like the story went on. Like I still look back at it, like it's the saddest rap story I can think of because we have the super tragic ones of like guys who died really early. Mm-hmm. And then we have people going to jail and people just like getting into trouble and shit like that. But like I was rooting for DMX so much because of like who he was and because of what he's gone through and like all of this shit and like DMX from the group home, and DMX like living on the street and like like just being shitted on and everybody giving up on him. And then he makes it and he makes it so big. Where like, I'll, I'll, talk, about, I'll talk about it like now, it's like DMX would have been like now how we have like all these action stars who aren't really actors like that was dmx dmx did movies with jet lee steven seagal like he was the action star we had a rap superstar who was also an action star and he was just starting he was super raw but he was charismatic on screen and he just like he was such a like a a diverse person he was just talented in all these ways and he drops five albums and then all of a sudden he like the drugs take over where like he should have been allowed to like like ride off into the sunset the way he deserved to and like we just never really got that yeah now that now that you mention it it really yeah i mean because it's like it's hard not it's hard not to root for a guy like DMX, considering you know where like you said where he came from, right. all the things he went through, and you know his ascent to the top, and you know I mean it bothered me to see him on like those reality shows because yeah. like you know like Couples Retreat and of course the ill fated episode with the the scam artist oh, known as Ayala Van Zandt. <laughs> Like that, like that. That's not DMX to me. It's not, and it sucks that like the newer, like the younger guys, that's the only DMX they know. Like they don't really have the same connection that we did to him. So he's more of a meme now, where like people post the videos around this time of like him singing like the fucking Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer shit and. All of these things, like people just make fun of DMX, where DMX was at one point the biggest rapper and the biggest action star in the world. And that's crazy. 
it's just wild how life does these things to people, man. But that pretty much covers it. So Russ, want to thank you for coming on. If you want to, you know, if you got anything you want to plug or you just want to, you know, tell people, I mean, you know, like if you want to just keep, you know, I Me, don't know. You know, it's like outside of the Twitter at, at Russ Jack, um, I'm pretty much how we just had this discussion. I'm pretty much doing this every day. Because <laughs> even in this podcast, we started veering off into Beanie and Jadakiss. We started veering off into a little bit of Jay Z and like the Philly music scene. So, like, we could do this all day. Absolutely. Because this is just what we enjoyed enjoy doing. But yeah, outside of Twitter, man, I got nothing to promote. I got no mixtape. Um, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just I'm just here for. Uh, for good conversation to talk shit about sports, the Sixers, and, and and rap music. Like, come find me. Sounds good. All right, Russ. Thanks for coming on the Groove Line, man. Greatly appreciate yeah. it. And, and come to Philly and see a show, man. Stop bullshitting. All right, man. I'm trying. Struggle, that's the way it goes on the stream. Nothing hurts.